Welcome to Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store Soho in New York. Please welcome this evening's moderator from Rolling Stone, David Fear. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, you guys are in for a serious treat. Uh, I don't know how many people here are familiar with the um, with Robert C. O'Brien's 1974 novel, Z for Zachariah. It, uh, it's this young adult dystopian novel long before such a thing was really super fashionable. If you are familiar with it, I'm sure the first thing that you thought when you heard it was going to be turned into a film was, oh my god, I hope they get the guy that did Compliance. Because that would be perfect. The guy that did that movie about that young woman who was sexually assaulted in a fast food restaurant. This is what we need for this movie. Um, I know it sounds absolutely ridiculous until you see the film. Uh, and then you remember that Craig Zobel, the filmmaker that we're talking about here, uh, is extraordinary when it comes to pacing, is extraordinary when it comes to working with actors, uh, does wonders with atmosphere. If you've seen Compliance or his earlier film, Great World of Sound, you understand that he really knows what he's doing. And then when you see how he has turned this story into this beautiful character study, uh, it is nothing short of amazing. Um, uh, we're going to show you a trailer of it right now just to give you a little taste. Jealousy doesn't see you, sir. I love you. You fancy wager?
Let's bring out the film's director, Craig Zobel, and the film star, Chiwetel Ejiofor. Hey, David. How's it going? Uh, let's start from the beginning. Were either of you familiar with this book prior to coming on at this thing? <clears throat> well, since my last name is Zobel, I'm kind of familiar <laughs> with things that have Z <laughs> surrounding them. So I was familiar with it. I hadn't read it until after I read the script, though, actually. Uh, no, I, I had no, I, I had no idea about the book. Um, and then read it just after we started talking about it. and. Uh, um, so, kind of interesting just to see how it, had, how it had evolved and what we changed. I know I was joking in the intro that, you know, when, I'm sure when people were thinking about filmmakers to bring on to adapt this, that your name was probably somewhere around the middle of the list as opposed to the, the top. Uh, but seriously, what, what attracted you to the project? How did you get involved with this? Honestly, what attracted me to it was uh, the potential of getting to well, both both the potential of getting to work with like, you know, three people for a, a, an extended period of time and just getting to kind of like work on those performances and work on tone and kind of ex play and experiment. Um, and also there was something that was uh, to me attractive about it, I guess like in my mind the, the story is uh, in some ways is like, you know, about what it's like to be kind of alone and by yourself and an individual and then having to, you know, kind of like coexist with another person um, and like what that means and sort of what relationship dynamics like that are and then like m moving forward with that, like what two people interacting with kind of a, a greater group, which is like three people, like all of a sudden you can whisper, you know, like you can't whisper when there's only two people there, but when there's three people there, you can have secrets and you can have things like that. And I guess something about that just I found interesting. Yeah, those secrets tend to cause problems, though. Which is, which makes for good movies. <laughs> uh, let's talk about switching that up a bit, because I know in the original book, I believe it's just two characters and it, it sort of takes the form of a diary that the female character is played by Margot Robbie here. It's, is narrating. Yeah, that's right. Uh, talk about the decision to work with a screenwriter in terms of branching that out a little bit. Uh, well, you know, it had, it had kind of happened by the time that I encountered the story. Um, at, but, but I think that the idea was, it's interesting when you read the book, um, you know, like you said, it was written in 1974 and, and it hadn't been adapted yet, you know, and, and part of that is that there is some challenge, I think, with just two people you tend to have a good guy and a bad guy and that kind of is all that there is and so there is some some sort of like tension that kind of can work in a in a diary format in a in a like you know i mean i, I think i i always joked that robert o'brien pitched his editor that he wanted to write the diary of Anne frank after a, an apocalypse because that's kind of what it reads as you yeah know? yeah um and it works that way, you know, like in, as a novel. Uh, but I feel like as a film, like there's some challenge of like kind of where do you go or whatever, which I think that the the Nisar, the screenwriter Nisar Modi, was able to f find like questions that I feel like the novel was getting at and like ask them more fully by kind of adding a third person. It does. You wouldn't think that it would necessarily branch that particular story out, and yet it does beautifully, especially once Chris Pine, who's the third angle of this love triangle. Love triangle, would you call it that? Of a three-character piece, yeah, shall we I mean, say, it, yeah. comes into yeah. play. 
Uh, we're going to show you another clip up here. This is when uh, the two characters initially meet. I have my guesses here, but she would tell it. Uh, what attracted you to the role? Uh, well, it was a number of things, really. I mean, I'd, um, we, we had an initial conversation in LA, Craig and I, and just um, sort of getting an idea of what Craig was thinking about with this project and, uh, and the idea of this two-hander for the first half, you know, for the first little bit of the movie is two-hander. Going into a three-hander, I thought there was something that was going to be very... Um, sort of emotionally nuanced about that, that, there's, uh, that building the dramatic tension purely on the basis of these two people trying to understand each other, trying to, trying to get to know each other, and, uh, and then that being kind of completely disrupted by this third person. But it felt like uh, that there was just a lot to mine there. I'd always been a fan of uh, two-handers and uh, three-handers in cinema. I haven't seen many of them, you know, there haven't been many of them, but there's something very interesting about that kind of intensity, that just, uh, just people understanding them each other can be as dramatic and as tense-filled as you know, uh, you know, car chases and whatnot, you know, uh, and that was something that I thought was a great acting exercise. Actually, uh, I felt that um, that as we started to build it, I thought that working with Margot and uh, and Chris was going to be and was, you know, really exciting. I mean, they're two terrifically talented actors who don't always get the chance to do work like this, as well, you know, well. Who, uh, I mean, I know Chris does some stage work, but it's sort of like it just, uh, it just it had a lot of detail, a lot of nuance, and it really gave both of them a chance to show that side of their, of their acting that is really emotionally intelligent. And, uh, and, and that was great. It was great for, and therefore fun for us. And they were both excited to do that, you know? Um, so, um, and then it was, I saw Compliance and I found it, I, I just thought it was, I thought it was a great film. I thought I, it was a hard film, you know? <laughs> it's, it's, Sorry. <laughs> Oops, it's a you know it's a it, it's a tough film, a tough film to kind of you know to uh, to sort of uh, to engage you know but but thrilling and uh, and and epic and beautiful and a real description of humans, people, you know uh, and sort of that a real muscular description of that and the fact that it was all shot most of it shot with inside the you know the fast food joint but had this kind of epic quality was I thought remarkable and it felt and I felt that Craig was the perfect person then to take something like this which also has that kind of because there's only three people two then three people uh, that you know is sort of small in that way and I felt like Craig could really make that uh, something really epic and beautiful and truthful and honest and kind of raw um, so um, that's why I wanted to do that. <laughs> That's a fine yeah, answer, sir. I myself to sleep with that one. <laughs> no, but it's interesting to see what you do with this material because, you, like you said, it, it is very actor-driven in a lot of ways. It starts off as a two-hander, eventually becomes a three-hander, and the performances have to shoulder a lot of the a lot of the drama. And yet, you have these you know beautiful landscape shots, and you really feel like it's this fourth character, this kind of tainted landscape that's consistently you know on the horizon. Thanks. Um, yeah, th that was definitely uh, especially after. 
Uh, the, the last one, compliance, uh, is takes place in a very confined kind of movie in certain ways, and I was just excited to shoot outside and really wanted to like yeah. show that I could like shoot something outside. <laughs> <laughs> I was sort of curious to see if the, the, I'm sure you didn't take this project as a reaction to compliance, but if there was something after doing that film where you're like, I really kind of need to do a 180 here. Like, what else? What's the opposite of that? Uh, no, I guess it didn't really go like that. I mean, uh, more than anything, like after compliance, I felt like, uh, I mean, I, just talking about Chuta, they felt like, you know, I stumbled into kind of like being like, oh, you know, we can, you can play at, at, on set and you can try things different ways and, and like, you're not making a movie in the terms of shooting it doesn't necessarily have to mean like getting it right every time it just means like shooting and like exploring and basically what i think like in a stage universe would be like like rehearsal period of like a play or something you could do that and then you like build it in the edit room and i felt like something like this would be a way to do that i guess yeah how much um, rehearsal time did you guys have a week? Yeah, we had a little bit, but we had, I mean, we, the rehearsal time itself wasn't that extensive, but there was, uh, there was a lot of time in when we Space. first met and when we started shooting and the, com yeah. the, the conversations sort of back and forth and the sort of just uh, the, the creating and understanding the text was like a, was a large part of it and conversations about it. And then... But we were changing things all the time, you know, and, and uh, right up into shooting and then we'd change in between takes. It would be completely different or we'd emphasize different things. And it was just, uh, uh, I just think we were all very just deeply involved in the sort of nuance of it all. Because, uh, because as you say, there's nothing else really that you're following as an audience. It's just these right. people and their relationships. So there has to be something very honest, to, uh, very deeply honest about what they're doing and quite raw, you know, sort of difficult, you know, but... Um, but I think that's ultimately what's engaging about it. Yeah, and there's not, I don't think this is giving anything away, but it's not the sort of dystopic or post-apocalyptic film that has a lot of special effects and set pieces where you really get like, oh, look at the cursed landscape. I mean, it's very much, it's probably the most agrarian post-apocalyptic movie I've ever seen. Uh, that was in some ways like a thing, Timur and I, Timur, the director of photography and I kept talking about like, no brown and gray and yeah. you know like let's not try to make it look like the like same post-apocalyptic thing that you've already seen i mean the, we've seen it before a in, yeah, exactly. in a world where that kind of thing yeah so it was like well, let's make sure that it looks pretty <laughs> like who's ever seen a post-apocalyptic pretty movie <laughs> <laughs> the post but the truth is there are movies like there's an old 70s movie called uh the quiet earth yeah which is like was like a influence definitely and there's like there are like some kind of of these like earlier brand of like post-apocalyptic movies that were like the day after the bomb kind of movies. Right. Well, there was a film that came out right after the day after called Testament. Which I don't Testament. Yeah. Seen. Yeah. Which is very much like never mind the apocalypse. What's happening to the sort of domestic? What happens to civilization as opposed to and the people within it as opposed to the landscape itself? Yeah. It reminds me a lot of this actually. Testament is I, I own that on VHS. <laughs> We're going to show you another clip in just a second, but I, I want to ask, how, how soon in the process did Chris and Margot get involved? Did you come on first? Was it the sort of thing where a bunch of names were bandied about? And yeah, I think it was, was it me and, yeah, it was me and, and Chris and then, and and then, then Margot? Margo. Yeah. 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 Uh, we're going to show you a scene with, I believe it's all three of you guys in this. Go ahead.
number on your hand. Rap, you have to guess what card is on my head. Well, I think I know. I think it's a seven. <laughs> <laughs> no way, no way. Heartbreaking to watch that after knowing what comes next. Um, there, there's some pretty direct allusions to the story of Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden in here. And yet, it's interesting because you're not really sure that there's a bad guy. And if there is, in fact, a, a bad guy, you know, that there's an obvious person who fits that role. Was it important to you guys that, I mean, to keep that Eden metaphor going, that no one knew who the snake in the grass was or if there was a snake at all? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't it, the the some of that Adam and Eve stuff is good, but dates back to the original book. I mean, it's right, like yeah. super involved in the book even. Um, but I guess I wasn't trying to make like a spirit a movie about spirituality necessarily. It's not necessarily supposed to be like about like whether or not science or religion or something. No, like no. That. So it, it, f as far as like yeah, I, I mean, I, I did kind of occasionally like I, I thought it would be much more interesting to like. Basically, that was my pitch. Was like, it's the story of Adam and Eve, but you don't know who the snake, who the snake is. You know, like with three people, and you don't know which one of them is the snake. Right, and it would have been very easy, I would think, to have since Chris Pine's character comes in like right before the beginning of the third act, essentially, to start telegraphing, like having him twirl his mustache, that kind of thing. And you don't get that. You really start to kind of wonder how these three people are going to be able to survive together. Uh, well, good. Yeah, I mean that that was definitely like the hope was that we kind of subverted that a little bit at least, you know, like tried right. to avoid that as much as we could. Um, how did um, how did filming in New Zealand affect the uh, the way you guys approach the characters and stuff? Because I imagine like you're isolated, you were pretty far from everything. I give an understanding there wasn't a lot of phone service. Yeah, kind of on your own. <laughs> that wasn't yeah. Yeah, we were on the, uh, the South Island, which is, I mean, as you see in the film, you know, is absolutely beautiful, beautiful to look at. It's very remote, and so, and there's a small kind of, you know, cast and crew, uh, and so we were just a little, a little pack, just a little gang of us, you know, and that felt completely right for the, for the project. And it was, it was very unplugged. It was like a half-mile walk to get to this little box, and next to the box, if you stand two feet away from it and turn a little bit to your left, you can get one bar of signal on your phone, you know, type thing. So at lunchtime, everybody's walking off to see if they can get, you know. <laughs> yeah. and, um, it, it, took, it took 45 minutes to drive to the nearest gas station, so by the time that you got back, you were like a quarter out of gas, I right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, uh, the, uh, all, when I got to New Zealand, all the drivers, you know, the, on, on the thing, you drive in the cars and there'd be a little clinking sound, like everywhere you go. There's a little clinking sound to get into the car. And I just thought it was the car, first of all, you know. So, but then I got into another car, there's a little clinking sound. And I said to the guy, you know, what's the clinking sound? I said, it's a 24 pack of booze. 
just in case you ever get caught out. Because <laughs> everything shuts early, so everybody's got a crate of beers in the back. You know? yeah. So it's, it's, that, it's that kind of thing, it's that kind of culture, it's fun. But it is quite isolating, I mean, it, was perfect. it was perfect for this, and it was perfect for the kind of the quiet sort of stillness and reflective nature of even trying to make a film like this, and trying to yeah. make that kind of, uh, as you said, the sort of the, the Adam and Eve, but kind of for reals of it all, you know. Uh, it really lends itself to um, to New Zealand because also New Zealand looks like this sort of hyper beautiful version of the planet Earth. It looks like it's crazy Earth yeah, yeah. if there weren't any people. It's like how Earth should be, you know, how it was designed or something, you know. Uh, uh, so it's an incredible place to to make this film. You know, it's interesting. The subject of race does not come up in the film except for once, uh, and it's very interesting where it comes up. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because it could have been something that was just not discussed whatsoever, but where it falls in terms of the story, to me, is just incredibly fascinating. Yeah, you'd say this better than me. Well, I mean, I, you know, the, the, obviously, the, 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 I guess in a way, race wasn't a part of the book, uh, but as soon as I came on and we'd had the conversation and I decided that I wanted to do the film, it seemed obvious to me that, that, that there, were, there were a number of themes in the, in the film that are large themes. There's the themes about sort of gender and, and the relationships and the normalization of the relationships between men and women. There's themes about justice and government, morality, ethics, so on. And there's race and religion, you know, as a, uh, and, and I felt that that was an important thing to kind of, uh, to talk about. That actually none of those things mattered. None of it matters when it's just the two of them. You know, when it's just uh, yeah. Loomis and Anne. Race, religion, government, n nobody cares about it, you know, because it's just two people engaged in trying to figure out their relationship. Religion to an extent, though. Well, what I mean is he doesn't have to worry about whether she feels, she, she believes in God. He's not going to, it doesn't make him feel either way. Certainly doesn't make him feel insecure. The distinction is that when there's three people, then somebody, in this instance, somebody is a minority. And the minoritization of Loomis, both in race in terms of the fact that he is an atheist and they are religious, creates self-consciousness and creates certain insecurities which start to drive the, uh, the angst between Loomis and Caleb and, and certainly make Loomis feel that he is being outmaneuvered in a very sort of deliberate way by Caleb. And that, I think, was something that was fascinating to me. And, you know, and the other extension of that was the ideas of like sort of justice and ethics, that as soon as there's a third person, Loomis actually believes that because he was there first, he doesn't own this farm, but he was, he was there first, he was there before Caleb, and he believes internally that that gives him certain rights. It's funny because most people also think that that's true, you know, yeah. but what Caleb is counteracting with is, of course, the, the, the nonsensical nature of that. Of course, it doesn't, because you got there first, you were then, you know, in your king of the castle. Well, no, now there's another guy, and it's, and it's the way that they have to kind of deal with whoever is going to dominate this situation. Uh, you know, get the girl and walk off happily into the sunset or stay in, in the little embrace of this Eden, you know, uh, and, and in doing that and figuring that out, you know, they actually evoke all of these kind of very contemporary, very real themes of, of modern life. Um, this film is obviously a lot of things, but it is still a post-apocalyptic, dystopic film in a way, despite being, as you were saying, like a very pretty, you know, postcard, post-apocalyptic looking movie. Uh, I'm curious, why do you think people are so fascinated with these type of movies still? 
I mean, it really feels like there's been, especially in the last five years, there's been this incredible wave. You've made several of these now. Um, what's the fascination? It, you know, this one in particular is more, is truly kind of more using the post-apocalypse as like to make a desert island movie. Mm -hmm. Like this is a desert island movie that it just happens to be that the desert is because of an apocalypse. Right. You know, to, and I think that people like desert island movies because it makes you like reflect on like you as an individual, you with other people and all this kind of stuff that I was fascinated about or interested in. I mean, I think in a greater version of it, like why are people excited about the post-apocalypse? Or why is that keep being like a, 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 a subject? Excited. 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 It's not a phrase you hear very often. We're excited about the post-apocalypse. Oh, we Bring are. It on. Isn't that kind of what you're saying, though? I mean, yeah, like, isn't that true. kind of what it Stor is? It's just interesting to me to see that stories and movies about the end of the world, about civilization, civilization collapsing, about what happens when you get to that extreme situation, how do you react? You know, do you retain your humanity? Do you give away your humanity? Yeah, because people are interested in what, what the core is of, of humanity, of, yeah. of mankind, and, having, and somehow stripping that all away is a way of exploring that, exploring what would, what would remain, what traps people would fall back into, you know, if they had a chance to, to essentially start the slate clean. I think that's constantly, constantly fascinating, you know. And there's, I think, a little bit of a, like, could we do it? Like, would I survive? Would I be the, you know, everybody. It, it creates, like, an easy way to kind of, like, be able to, like, you know, it's fun, like, to, like, imagine, like, whether or not you would be the, you know, it's like, I would be the hero in World War Z that would bust through the whatever. You know I mean? I think that there is some attraction to that. Yeah, I can see well. you doing that. <laughs> yeah, I can see I you being totally, that here. I would be, like, <laughs> be first on the floor. <laughs> Uh, we're going to take some questions from the audience. Hi, uh, thank you for coming. Um, I have uh, two questions. First, in terms of post-apocalyptic uh, worlds, time always seems ambiguous. Um, whenever you write a story for this type of genre, do you ever say, okay, this is way in the future, this is present day, and it's a year later? Um, or is it sort of left ambiguous for a reason, so we can just imagine it's any place, any time? And uh, secondly, um, for Chuetel, um I have to ask this. Before you did Red Belt, did you know any martial arts prior to that? Uh, thank you. <laughs> you had to ask that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I can't take it. <laughs> um, not much. <laughs> yeah, a little boxing, but yeah, not much. <laughs> um, I, as far as like uh, time and place, like, you know, we talked about, it, the interesting thing is the book like, is very contemporary to its time. It's like it happens tomorrow, essentially, and um, and and like in the story, Loomis, uh, Trutel's character is basically a scientist who's involved maybe with something governmental, kind of like possibly like government and like maybe military based. So like maybe he has access to some stuff that's somewhat in the future, and certainly like we aren't gonna get you know nuclear bombs dropped on us. T today so like we struggled with that well yeah <laughs> uh, but we struggled with like making sure that it didn't feel like so far in that it didn't feel too you know like the, tr the other thing is like we're also dealing with like rural the rural world which like if you go to a farm it's not necessarily like as many like modern technology necessarily everywhere as as you know, you'll see stuff that's like 50 years old next to like a MacBook Pro. 
you know what I mean? So we tried to kind of like treat it like that and, and I guess make it ambiguous, but in the sense of trying to honor kind of what it was in the book. Um, hi guys, um, love compliance. Uh -huh. um, but uh, Chuitel, question for you. Um, you know, being in a film that was as highly regarded and as important as uh, as Twelve Years a Slave, I would love I would love to know. You know, when in the in the timeline of, of that film, making that picture and the the awards that came after it, um, did you sign on to do this? And did doing a film like that add an extra layer of importance to your next project? Um, also, the contrast between doing a movie that was such an ensemble cast, working with so many great performers and sharing the screen with them, and then coming to literally only sharing the screen with two others what the difference is there going into it just as a performer yeah it was um it was it was very it was a very exciting challenge you know um and uh, in the sort of timeline of it i'd shot 12 years and then taken a bit of a, a break and then had wanted to do something else and uh, do something new rather and um and uh, and so that's when i met up with that's when i met up with craig and that was maybe uh about half a year later or something like that and uh, and we started talking about it and we didn't shoot it until like I was deep in the award season actually so it was a bit of, 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 of respite to fly out to New Zealand and uh, and get into this and then fly back for BAFTA and Academy Awards and so on but it was uh, but yeah it was a very interesting contrast to suddenly just work on something that's sort of very pared down and just very kind of quiet in a certain way but just dealing I think with these kind of epic epic themes and uh, and you know uh, um, and uh, and great great actors. Nice. Um, from a director and actor's standpoint, what was the toughest thing to bringing these characters to to life? And also, Chihuahua, I'm a big fan. <laughs> Thanks. Well, I think it was just the importance of like making sure that they had. I would, I would say it had like kind of like even if it wasn't necessarily spelled out on screen, that we kind of knew what their backstories were, what their history was. Yeah, they had to have a very strong inner life, these characters, because they're the only ones that you're following, and so uh, there's nowhere else to, to look, really. So we, you, have, you have to be very, very quickly caught up to speed with the kind of people that they are, uh, which means uh, I think the challenge for us as actors is we had to make sure that we had an in-depth understanding of these people going in, because there's never a point where they explain themselves or you know, the other character simply explains them, because they don't know each other. They're just, you know, they've just met. So... Uh, and, as, and, as, and as the film gets more kind of subtle and more nuanced, you have to have such a strong understanding of the characters in order to really follow the drama. Because by the end of it, if people are, if, uh, if Anne looks left instead of right, looks at Caleb instead of Loomis, you know, it's, a t it's telling a whole and completely different story. And so, you know, you really want the, uh, the audience to be just completely on top of that and truly aware of these characters. And, uh, uh, and I think that that's why we had to do so much sort of detailed work on the front end to, to hopefully get to that place. What were the challenges of preparing the actors and the rehearsing and the preparation for the movie and how long did it take to prepare? Uh, well, we, we only, I think, rehearsed, like we said, for like about a week. Um, but we were, we were kind of there in, in the experience. It's not like we were like clocking out and then like going off to our lives outside of the movie we were kind of like in the experience the whole time um but honestly like when you the plus of having like only three people on set is that you get to spend a lot of time in on set f figuring it out as well um so so yeah I, it, it we kind of did a lot of it in front of the camera to be honest yeah yeah what kind of um challenges do you have uh, did you have to uh, like during the doing the movie on a 
isolated place uh, like like New, New Zealand, besides the communication, the cell phone problem, what kind of like productions problems did you have? Like, did you have to face anything? Yes. <laughs> 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 yes. <laughs> um, yeah, it was very remote. So like, you know, if a, th if a thing broke, like I said, it was 45 minutes to the nearest gas station. So the nearest like motion picture camera rental house was quite <laughs> very far away, you know? <laughs> so there was a lot of like doubling of like all of our gear and things like that. And um, yeah, it was quite extensive. There was, we were also shooting in places, there's a, a waterfall that you saw a little bit in that clip um, that we, that multiple scenes in the film take place at the waterfall. And, um, we ended up having, you know, there was, it essentially took helicopters to kind of get down into that waterfall and stuff. So, um, yeah, it was, the, it was at times surpri surprising to me, even though I was prepared for it to be isolated, it was still... But the, good, the good news, I would think, is that you guys had lots of 24 packs of beer. Around yeah, yeah, exactly. So, exactly. in case something did go yeah. wrong, you're all it set. It's not a problem. Thank you so much for coming. Thank Thanks you. Thanks a lot. Thank you.